Welcome to Boiling Point. Some words we hear these days are machine learning and automation, but what do they mean and where do they actually come from? Today we're going to take a closer look at the history of machine learning and automation. The origins of automation date back to the Industrial Revolution. Our guest today will tell us the history of machine learning and automation and what this may look like in the future. Listen to the story in just a moment. Welcome back to Boiling Point, weekly science show on 89.7 FM. On the show, it's your host, Liz. Hi. Today, we're going to be chatting with Carlos Aguilar Cortez. Carlos is a research intern at Contactile and is working on his PhD in computer science at the University of New South Wales. Carlos studies machine learning and robotics. Welcome to the show, Carlos. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. Okay, so, Carlos, what actually, like, is so what is automation okay so automation the word was coined i believe in the 1960s by ford um, and what they were trying to describe was they were trying to describe an assembly line with minimal input from other humans so basically um, the manufacturing the testing all the inspections the packaging they were all done by machines so that's what they were trying to describe. But the root of automation comes from the word automaton. So what an automaton was is this ancient Greek concept of a self-driven machine. So the origins are really with the Greek god Hephaestus. So Ooh. Hephaestus was the, the god of the forge, I believe. Right, yeah. Um, and he used to make automatons. So he used to make horses. He used to make warriors. And basically the way the Greeks describe them is uh, as people and animals of bronze that could act according to the will of Hephaestus. So from the root word of automaton, that's where um, in the 1960s, the term automation was coined. But automation specifically has to do with manufacturing. So again, it was made by Ford to deal with assembly lines. But before the 1960s, there was the concept of automatic machines. Okay. But they were primarily with toys, right? So you would ah. have um, in like the ancient Greek world, ancient Roman world, but even in like contemporary, um, contemporary Europe and contemporary Russia, you would have dolls, right? And the dolls mm -hmm. would do things by themselves. Ah, so um, like wind-up ones, things yeah, like that? Actually, ah. that's a very good example. Okay. But in the wind-up one, the mechanism is very obvious, right? Okay. But what they were trying to do is they were trying to show magic. So oh. originally, it was more of a... Um, it was more of a show. So you would have these things at circuses, at festivals, and it would try to emulate uh, like a natural being. Whereas those little wind-up ones, they, they're clearly toys. But what they were trying to do originally was really replicate like an actual self-driven machine. Wow, that's super cool. So how does machine learning kind of tie into automation? Right. So that's a great question. So machine learning, uh, let's take the machine away from it for a second, because machine learning has a lot of hype around it at the moment. That's true. So what is learning? So learning is just um, acquiring information, which allows you to improve the way you behave towards something. So for example, if you're learning how to swim, you start first by not knowing how to swim. And then through lessons, you acquire information. And that information lets you swim better. So what learning is, is using data to improve a certain behavior or action. That's, that's essentially what it is. Um, okay. Now, how does it relate to automation? So automation, remember, is, um, is essentially the act of self-driven machinery. Right. But what does it mean for a machine to be self-driven? It means it needs to follow a certain process. Oh. So for the longest time, you would have humans creating that logic, right? But how machine learning ties into automation is eventually we want the machines to be able to adapt themselves to the environments. Mm -hmm. So right now, 
automation of machines are basically restricted to factories. Uh, why is that? It's because a factory is carefully designed by engineers, right? By process right. engineers, plant engineers. Um, so since it's so carefully designed, then the automation doesn't need to be that complex. It is complex. I don't want to. I don't want to belittle the complexities of factories, but it's not. It's not generalized, right? A robot in a factory can't navigate the human world successfully. But where machine learning comes into it is giving the ability to operate in unconstrained environments. So, for example, a household, right? A household's right. not always tidy. Like it has the same layout. Like the tables meant to be in roughly the same place. In the kitchen, the pots and pans are roughly in the same place. But there's always going to be variations, right? Maybe you left the pan outside. How would a machine be able to to deal with that variation? That's where machine learning comes into it, giving the flexibility aspect of it. Ah, okay. When did this kind of start? Like, how how old actually is this like machine learning? So, learning is not not a new concept, but like machine learning, we've had automation, but then like, so does machine learning also date back to kind of factories, or is it later with kind of getting machines to do that? Um, so it might have an older origin. Um, you never know. Sometimes everything starts with the Greeks or some ancient civilization. But from my understanding. Um, Machine learning, as we know it today, started with Alan Turing. So there was a paper, I can't remember the paper name exactly, but what Alan Turing was advocating was maybe instead of developing expert machines, so machines that already knew how to do a task, maybe we should create childlike machines. And the childlike machines wouldn't start with knowledge, but they would start with the ability to acquire knowledge. Um, and eventually, that was the roots of what became machine learning. So with machine learning, you start with algorithms that don't know anything, right? But what they do know is they know how to incorporate, assimilate, and use information that they receive. I think that was around the 50s. So it's, okay. it's around then. Um, and I think that came from efforts in computation. So Alan Turing was mostly into computation. He's most famous for like the Turing machine. Um, and then machine learning slowly progressed from that into, I, I believe the earliest forms of machine learning were with games. So specifically checkers, I think. Oh. So checkers was the first type of machine learning. Um, Interesting. And then it evolved from that, right? So one of the more recent, and actually one of the things that got me into machine learning, have you ever heard of um, AlphaGo? No. Okay. So what is that? So Go is an ancient um, game in East Asia. So I know China, Korea, Japan, they all play it. Um, and basically what it is, is you have a tile um, where one player places white pieces and one player places black pieces, and you try to capture the board. So for the longest time, um, people said AI will never solve um, Go because it's too complex a game, right? Like chess was solved kind of, but Go will never be solved because it requires human intuition. Ah, okay. But in 2017, they used reinforcement learning to beat one of the world's best Go players. So Whoa. so that that's kind of the transition. So from the very start, it started as an academic idea, right? So instead mm -hmm. of creating machines that already know how to play, we'll create machines that learn how to play. And it started with a very simple game of checkers. And now uh, machine learning is tackling some of the hardest problems in the world. So that's like the evolution. And in terms of the timeline, it's only 70 to 80 years. So it's made a lot of progress in a very small amount of time. That is quite incredible. So you talked about a bit about like what got you into machine learning. What what, what also like influenced you on your journey and like made you decide, oh, this is like what I want to do? Because you're working on your PhD and all on this. So, 
So I guess my journey with what I'm doing right now starts with robotics. So I was always a huge fan of robotics. And I think, um, I think when I was 10 or 11, my mom signed me up for a, a little robotics workshop where we built something very sim- simple. You know, it was just like a car. Um, so it had some motors, some wheels, and you would control it. Um, I think it was line followers. So it would like follow a line that was set on a table. And I thought that was beautiful because it's essentially like teaching an inanimate object how to behave intelligently, right? Mm. And the, I, I don't know. It seems very simple, right? Like following a line. But to my 10-year-old brain, like a spark flew by. And it was the idea that if I could teach a robot how to do this, where, where does the limit go? Like what can I and what can I not teach a robot? So that was kind of the origins of my passion for robotics. Um, so right now I'm doing my PhD in computer science, but my undergraduate was in mechatronics engineering. So mechatronics engineering is the field of engineering that kind of focuses on robotics. So specifically, it focuses on the intersection between mechanical engineering and electrical engineering. But realistically, that describes a robot almost perfectly, right? Um, but I think what I realized while I was doing mechatronics engineering is that robotics is a very wide field, right? Yeah, that's there's huge. hardware, there's electronics, there's control systems, Software. there's communication, a hundred percent. So if I if I wanted to make a career out of robotics, I realized I can't do everything. You know, I can't yeah, be a you, jack of all trades. Yeah, you have to specialize in something. Yeah. Ah. And what I always found most interesting was the control aspect of a robot. How do you control a robot? Not necessarily how you build a robot, though. That's very interesting and. For me, it's more of a like a side project kind of side passion. So I enjoy building uh, simple robotics. I can't claim to have ever built any complex robot, um, but I I attempted to build like a robotic arm. Um, I've attempted to build like little robotic cars, and it's been very fun. But for me, the most interesting thing has always been control. Mm. Now I am aware that there's other ways to control robots, but for me, it always seemed like AI was the most interesting way to control a robot. Okay. So that's that's why I am doing what I'm doing. Cool. So with AI, like how does AI relate to like other types of machine learning? Yeah, so that's a great question. AI, let's first define what AI is, right? So AI is artificial intelligence. Um, but what is artificial intelligence? Well, intelligence... There's many ways to define this, right? There's right. people that do theory of mind and psychology. They'll define it differently. But from the computer science perspective, usually you define intelligence as your ability to perform an action or behavior um, optimally. So uh, right. like a purely intelligent being would perform an action optimally according to a set of constraints and criteria. Okay. Um, and an algorithm or an agent with low intelligence will not do much better than random choice. Cool. Okay. So what is artificial intelligence is replicating human behavior. Um, So if you remove the intelligence for a second, because intelligence is a very loaded word, right? Like a lot of people ask, but can machines really think? And that's a great Mm. question, but I don't think it's it's a useful question for the replication of human behavior. Okay. So what artificial intelligence is, is how can we best replicate human behavior? Ah. Now, that is a huge goal, right? Right. And it's divided into sub goals because humans use our, we use our intelligence in many different ways. We do many different tasks. Machine learning is one subfield of AI and it focuses on um, basically learning with more information. So you start at a very low, low optimality state. So basically you're terrible at performing a task, but every step along the way you get better and better and better. 
Think, think of a baby like learning how to walk, right? At right. first, they'll always trip over and they don't even start walking, right? They start crawling and then they'll fall if they're not supported. Um, but eventually, with the more and more practice, they learn how to walk, they learn how to skip, they learn how to jump, they learn how to run. So that's what machine learning is. Um, a few other sub goals are, for example, computer vision. Um, mm. So that's being able to recognize the world around us. Um, something called natural language processing. So that's understanding human speech, which is what ChatGPT is. Yeah. Um, then there's logic and reasoning. So, for example, um, if A, then B, okay. A, therefore B. That that is that's logic and maths, right? But yeah. um, AI has kind of taken that up as one of the subfields. So logic and reasoning. Uh, planning. So, given a set of constraints, how do you plan for an optimal reward? Um, yeah, I, th I think those are some of the main ones. I'm sure I'm forgetting some, but uh, yeah, those are. I would say those are the main like subfields of AI. Interesting, interesting. I know that. So, one of the things we're planning in in my in my school, I'm because I'm a biologist, and so I like see AI, and I'm like, oh man, like potentially as a biologist, like it's scary to see it because we're not sure completely how it's going to affect our field. But, how, how do you think it's going to affect your field? Ooh, good question. Uh, so currently it looks it's the reasoning is going to be hard for them. We know that they can't do some things, but we know that they can help with especially data optimization. So I think the biggest thing so far in bio is just data optimization. We have so much data. How how can we get a machine to help us better like categorize it? Can we get the machine to actually like plot the data if we tell it what what we want from it can it actually do things like that and so i think for us so far that's what it's being used for but i know that there's a lot of other other um aspects that could be important um so i think it's important to realize that artificial intelligence is a tool right um mm -hmm. so it's up to the tool user to decide how to use the tool so it can help you in many ways, right? Again, the goal of artificial intelligence is to replicate human behavior. But what type of behavior is replicated is up to the, to the user. Um, so if you wanted to analyze a little bit of data that is very tedious to analyze, that's a perfect use case for AI, right? Yeah, that was kind of my thoughts. 100%. But um, you also have to be careful because um, imagine, imagine you ask a stranger to do data analysis for you. Ooh, yeah. You're going to doubt the results. Uh, I think the same type of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's the same type of... Analysis or verifying or... The same type of skepticism is necessarily ah, skepticism. with it. There we go. So yes, it'll give you an answer. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, it will always give you an answer. Ah. But is the answer correct? Maybe, maybe not. And that's up to the designer or the scientist or the experimenter or the technician or the manufacturer okay. to decide, right? So it'll help you. But at the end of the day, you still need to verify the results of whatever's happening. Trust, but verify. 100%. 100%. Interesting. Okay. So some of our listeners may be wondering this. With AI, I mean, everyone, a chunk of people are scared about AI. There's, of course, we have all the science fiction movies to blame for our fear of it. Do you think that that actually is a valid fear to actually be afraid of, like, robots taking over the world or like computers taking over the world is that actually a valid concern i think it's a valid concern i think um especially if you don't fully understand what's happening it, it kind of looks like magic right um right. so I, I don't know if this is um like a great example but if you imagine taking a mobile phone to a caveman right they would think it's magic they would think it's absurd they would think it's a magic mirror right oh yeah now since a lot of people don't understand how AI works, then 
it almost seems like magic as well. Like you mm. present like a little chat box and you type in a question and it returns an answer. It seems like magic, um, but it's not really magic, right? So I think concerns and worries about AI are valid, but I think they're not necessarily directed in the right place. So again, AI is a tool. So yes, you should be careful with AI, but I think a, a bigger question is, you should be careful with who uses AI. Oh, um, oh yeah. Because like some of the, I know, with, I think it was ChatGPT is that people give it wrong answers and so it starts spitting out incorrect information and things like that. that yeah, I mean, that's a great example. Um, I think in terms of robotics, for the longest time, robots have been relatively simple. So they've been yeah. constrained to factories. Um, but it, as I mentioned before, machine learning allows robots to act in more general ways, right? And as they begin acting in more general ways, then the behaviors that they can achieve become emergent behaviors. Hmm. So are you familiar with like an emergent behavior? Only sort of. So please explain. Yeah. So an emergent behavior is something that you didn't necessarily intend to do, but it emerges out of the process of the thing that you were trying to do. Um, so I guess a, a simple example might be traffic, right? No one oh. ever intends traffic to happen, but traffic it emerges from um, from cars operating in the roads. So you could say traffic is an emergent property of road usage. Oh. Um, AI, as it becomes more complex, produces emergent behaviors. So I, I'm not sure if you've ever seen like videos of AI trying to learn how to run, but it, it ends up wobbling instead of actually running. So it produces weird side effects that you didn't intend. And that's just as a process of not telling something what to do. Instead giving it a, a reward or a set of criteria that it needs to achieve. Um, so it's like a Swiss army knife, right? Like you, you don't know which of the tools it's going to use to do what it, uh, it's just going to kind of try different tools and see what works. Exactly, so it's, exactly. Yeah. Cause it's learning now it could potentially create something that you didn't expect it to do or something that you didn't want it to do. Yes. So it's up to the designer to be able to, to do the safety aspect of it. Um, so I think safe artificial intelligent design is very important. Um, is that actually a big field in the in the community? It's one of those as, as someone that's only only really semi concerned about AI, but others might be like that would be something that I would figure would be important. Yeah, so personally, I don't know many people in that field, um, but I do know from the news that a lot of the big companies are focused on regulation, and a big part of the regulation is safe design. Um, so, for example, using ChatGPT, you'll notice every now and then it, it returns an answer along the lines of, I am just a large language model, I cannot answer this type of question. So that's a type of safety feature added to the system. Um, I think safety features could be more robust. I think that's a relatively simple one. But yeah, it is It is a growing field. But again, I'm, I'm not too familiar with that field. So I, I don't think mm. I could do it justice, but it, people are focusing on it. Well, that's it's comforting to know that that actually exists. Because yeah, if, if we are actually concerned about robots doing crazy things, hopefully there are some safety mechanisms in there. Yeah, definitely. Cool. I think another thing that mm -hmm. a lot of people forget about is that for the longest time robotics research has been funded by none other than the military um that's right so for example i think one of the most famous robotics companies is boston dynamics for the uh -huh. longest time they were funded by the u.s military i think right now they're owned by hyundai or something but for the longest time they were receiving military money so if the military is the one focusing on robotics and ai then they will have 
amazing tools that could be used for destructive things. So I think that's another area of concern as well. Like who is actually mm. using these technologies? Do you think that the companies that are using it currently should be using it and that they're using it generally in okay ways, hopefully? It's a tough one. I think okay. that's up to ethicists to decide. I, th Ooh. I think a big problem with, um, with software, computer science, is that practitioners of those fields try to do everything themselves, right? Uh, ah, yeah. So there's, there's like a big culture of... Um, of like prototyping, breaking things, like all in the pursuit of achieving what you want to achieve, right? Right. But I think at the end of the day, you need humility to defer some decisions to other people. Um, so the realms of um, ethicists, sociologists, I think they're more able to, to answer those kinds of questions. Okay. At the end of the day, I'm building the tool, but I'm probably not going to be the one using it. So it's it's up to I think it's up to someone else, someone a professional. I think professionals in those fields need to be involved in the in the process. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that that's actually happening to some extent? Like do you think they're getting involved a bit or is it still kind of some groups are like hands off, you can't like decide stuff. I think it's happening, but I don't think it's happening as much as it should. So um. for the longest time AI was a research endeavor. Um but now it's actually being used by the public. So That's I right. think the transition from um, being like a research objective to actually being a commercial product requires more scrutiny. Fair. Um, so I, I think the companies that are releasing these products need to involve more ethicists, more philosophers, like more people, more, more types of people, more varieties of people. Okay. Well, I hope that they're listening so that maybe, <laughs> maybe some of them will, will think about that next time. Um, so, uh, in your journey, so currently you're working on your PhD and stuff like that, and you've got an internship. Uh, would you mind talking about kind of a little bit about what you're doing currently? Um, yeah. So what I'm trying to do right now is I'm trying to essentially give robots a sense of touch. Okay. Um, so this is for handling delicate objects, um, so robots are really good at building cars because metal, you know. Yeah, it's really strong and relatively really, indestructible. It, it's difficult to, to mess up a car. Not impossible, but difficult. But if you imagine the opposite extreme, imagine fruit picking or fruit handling. Oh. It's really difficult for a robot to do that for many yeah. reasons. Like the computer vision part of it, like no two plants are the same, right? So maybe the apple grows a little bit further down or a little bit further to the left. So that's a problem. But another problem is handling. So you don't want to damage your product. Um, now, there's some very delicate fruit out there, so, such as berries, right? Like yeah. berries, if you apply too much force, you'll squeeze it and you'll damage the product. Or like fruit packing as well. It's not just the picking, it's the handling, it's the packing. Um, but to be able to do those things, robots need a more human sense of touch. And by a human sense of touch, I just mean a more delicate touch, really. So what I'm trying to do is there's sensors which have the potential to give robots a sense of touch. But again, this comes down to the control side of it. So the hardware is there, but the software can always be improved. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm doing at the moment with that. And then uh, more on my PhD side, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to um, create a framework to teach robots new behaviors. Ah. So for a long time, there was something called um, like a digital twin kind of thing. So what would happen is you would move the robotic arm in a way that it would assemble a product. 
and then you would record those steps and then those steps would be performed automatically from there on. So essentially the robotic arm would mimic a human operator. Right. Um, now that's, that's a very useful thing, but again, it's not very flexible. So if, if a nut and bolt moves a millimeter to the left or right, it could potentially cause problems. Um, so how do robots acquire new behaviors by themselves? Um, so that's kind of working on it. That's kind of what I'm working on at the moment for, for my PhD side of things. Very exciting. So we're coming, we're getting closer and closer to the end, but, um, let's a couple, couple questions. So, uh, where do you see, see all this going in the future? We've talked a little bit about it, but like generally, what do you think is going to, what might happen? Okay. So I think the goal for robotics and the goal for AI are very similar. Okay. So the goal of AI is essentially to create artificial, like general artificial intelligence. And that's an AI that's not just good at playing chess. It's not just good at building a car. It's not just good at making a, a robot walk, right? It's good at everything. It can do everything at once, kind of like us humans, right? Like we can swim, we can run, we can throw things, we can speak, we can we can do a variety of things. So that that's the purpose, not the purpose, but the objective of AI. The objective of robotics is similar. It's to create a general purpose robot. So not just a robot that fixes a door onto a car and that's its whole life cycle. Um, not just a robot which tightens a screw right the purpose is to create a robot that can do anything so if you if you think of uh, boston dynamics again um like the atlas robot or the spot robot like those are robots that are designed to do a variety of tasks but if you think about it those two objectives kind of intersect so where it is going is a general purpose robot with a general purpose artificial intelligence so essentially something that will truly mimic us humans um, after that, who knows, but as machines become more general and algorithms become more general, at the end of the day, we want to replicate humans because we built the world for humans, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, stairs, you can create a robot that specifically goes up the stairs, or you can create a robot that specifically goes up and down slopes. You can create robots that navigate through slippery environments. You can create robots that navigate through grass. But at the end of the day, us humans, we can do all those things. So we want to create a robot that's similar to us because we designed the world for humans. So if we now design a robot that's similar to a human, that robot will be able to do anything that us humans can do. And if we give it the software, not similar to us humans, but that it can behave like us humans, then it can do anything we ask for it. So it can, it can be used for elderly care. It can be used for manufacturing. It can be used for household tasks. Basically, the variety of options will increase until it can do everything humans can do and possibly even more things as well. Very exciting. Okay, so we're still getting close. So one last question, I guess. Um, so what would you, what advice would you give? We've been asking a bunch of our, our uh, guests this. What would you, what advice would you give to someone that's looking to go into science or even especially to go into robotics and like do that type of stuff. I think the main advice I would give is to know where your passion lies. Now, science and robotics and really any field is so massive that if you don't know what you want to do, it's very easy to get swept away uh, with trends, right? Like maybe, maybe a specific field is trendy, so you end up doing it just because you don't know where your true passions lie. But I think if you know what you want to do and you just focus on doing that, 
you'll be able to do greater things than if you just keep doing whatever other people tell you to do, right? So in like the academic process, you'll have supervisors and they'll give you advice. They'll give you potential research directions. Now, if you don't know what you're passionate about, it's too easy to get swept up in all of that, right? And then I think if you get swept up in other people's passions, it's very easy to lose the passion that you had for the project. But if you start with a strong idea of what you want to do, like a strong goal, then I think it's easier to to survive the rough days, right? The good days, anyone anyone can enjoy the good days. But I think what you really want to be able to do is you want to be able to get through the rough days. And for me, the most beneficial thing to get through the rough days is to have that that strong vision of what I want to do. So I would say, um, really think about what you want to contribute to the world and focus on that. Sounds like some really good advice. Thank you so much for coming on, Carlos. This has been Boiling Point. We look forward to coming in next for you to come in next week. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Yeah.